Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful word that you give us, Lord. Your word is what we need. It's a light to our path, Lord. It's a lamp to our feet. We thank you, Lord, for your word and the guidance that we receive from it. Now continue, Lord, this morning to give us that light and guidance as we open your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis 42, verse 8. Genesis 42, starting verse 8. Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. They said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. He could hardly read that without choking. All right. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. He said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. They said, Thy servants are twelve brethren. The sons of one man in the land of Canaan, behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. Joseph said unto them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, You are spies. Hereby you shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you. Let him fetch your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into war three days. Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of their prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine in your houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified. You shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Okay, that's where we're going to stop this morning. Now, in our last study, we saw how under the pressure of the threat of of death by starvation from the famine, that God brought Joseph's brothers down to Egypt to buy corn. And in so doing, put them right in front of Joseph. Very eerie. And in verse 8, we read these amazing words. Joseph knew his brethren, but they didn't know him. And that's an interesting picture. Because in that picture, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, and the Jewish people together. And as Joseph looked at each one of those brothers, he knew them. He knew each one of the brothers. He recognized him. And he must have thought to himself, 23 years, they haven't changed. They're just the same. They have the same personalities that I remember them having when I last saw them 20 years ago. So the Lord Jesus Christ looks at each person, looks at every person, looks at the every every Gentile person, every Jewish person, he recognizes each one of them with the abilities, 
that he's gifted to them when he made them. As it says in John 1.10, John 1.10 says, he was in the world, the world was made by him, the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But that didn't stop Joseph from looking at them, even though they didn't recognize him. That doesn't stop the Lord Jesus from looking at every person with the look of a potter that's looking at the pottery he has made, and he's recognizing how he formed it. But especially... The Lord Jesus looks at the Jewish people that he's made, and he knows each one individually, just as Joseph knew each one of his brothers individually. But Joseph had to be very careful to hide his emotions that he, that as he stared with those eyes of focus on each one of them. And we saw how in verse 7, it says that Joseph made himself strange unto them and spake roughly unto them. Now, that was all to keep this pressure on them. It was imperative that they not discover that it was Joseph until they had come to full repentance. And so just as Joseph appeared strange to his brethren, so the Lord Jesus Christ, he appears very strange to Jewish people, especially when artists help him to look strange to Jewish people (laughs) by making him look like Sal Minio. (laughs) an Italian (laughs) rather than a Jewish person. But that's how Jewish people see the Lord Jesus Christ. They see him as someone very foreign to them. They don't see him as the Jewish king of the Jews or the, the Jewish Messiah, just like Joseph appeared strange to his brothers. And we see how Joseph then accused his brothers of being spies where the penalty was sure death. And this was so out of character for how the brothers remembered Joseph. You know, they remembered Joseph in the house there. You know, Joseph, he's the meek one. He's the harmless one. He's a little brother, the little kid brother in the home. And they, they never knew him as some kind of a rough character like he's coming across here. And that reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does everyone see the Lord Jesus Christ? They see him as the gospel as he's described in Hebrews 7.26 and Hebrews 7.26, where it's a commentary on how he was in the gospels when it says, such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. You know, it's sweet little Jesus boy. That's how they see him. Most people today think of of the Lord Jesus as the gentle shepherd who's gathering the children in his arms. So that's how Joseph's brothers remembered Joseph until this time. And here they see a different Joseph. They see a Joseph who's rough with them. And one day, the Lord Jesus is gonna be seen and they're gonna see a different Jesus, one that's described in Psalm 2, verse 6. Psalm 2, verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Or as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to yet done, whether it be good or bad. Or what it says in Revelation 6.15, Revelation 6.15, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, every bondman, every free man, 
hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne from the wrath of the lamb. That just is so incongruous. The wrath of the lamb. We don't think of lambs as having wrath, but this is the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Now, with that accusation that they were spies, the brothers were really in danger now of being crushed with despair, of just giving up on life because the most powerful man in the world has not just told them they are spies and that meant certain death. In fact, he reiterated to them twice that they were spies. Now we're gonna switch the scene now to look through Joseph's eyes as he's looking at them and he's very sensitive to them. And Joseph sees how his brothers, whoa, this is, maybe I've gone a little bit too, too far here with the pressure, I gotta back off. You know, and so they need a little hope so that they can live. So now he steps in, as Paul said to do in 2 Corinthians 2 7. 2 Corinthians 2 7, where Paul says, So contrarywise, he ought rather to forgive him, comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. See, Joseph saw that his brothers were in danger of being swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. And you can see how Joseph put them all in the prison, and that was a horrible place. That was a prison of death. And it's probably the same prison that Joseph was in, and he was down there, and you know what happened to the baker. Well, and now we see in verse 18 that the brothers, they'd spent three days in that prison, and they were sure that they're gonna be executed as spies. And Joseph sees all this despair, and so Joseph now sends them some words of peace some words to calm them, which we can see where he says, you see that in verse 18, where he says, I fear God, this do and live, for I fear God, I fear God, I fear God. When he said, I fear God, he said, I fear Elohim, that's the word there, God is Elohim. So what he's saying here is that I fear Elohim. Now, that was a shock for Joseph to say the word Elohim. No one in Egypt said the word Elohim. Elohim is a foreign god to the Egyptians. No Egyptian feared Elohim. Elohim was the god of Jacob. It was the god of the the family of Jacob. No one else feared Elohim. So we got to wonder, what do those brothers think? What looked to them to be a pure-blooded Egyptian say that he feared Elohim. It's very interesting when he said, I feared Elohim, because there's three points that we need to see about this when he said, I fear Elohim. First, this was meant to encourage them, encourage them that, that he feared their God. And the second point is that Joseph was clearly leading them to fear God. This is the whole problem. They don't fear God. He says, I fear God, Elohim. You don't fear Elohim. So what the brothers were so afraid of was that the ruler who had just accused them of being spies could just with one whim, just his emotions, just one whim of his emotions, and off with their head, they would have been executed. So Joseph says to them, to encourage them, I fear Elohim. So he secretly Joseph is secretly passing to his brothers a great lesson without telling them I'm Joseph, but he's secretly passing to them one of the greatest lessons that he's learned in life. You know, when Joseph was 17 and he'd seen how his own brothers wanted to kill him, 
and would have killed him in an instant, in a whim, with their emotions. And Joseph had no human recourse, but Joseph had God. And he feared Elohim. He had Elohim. And so Elohim restrained his brothers. And then when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, he had seen how how Potiphar could have killed him in an instant. And Joseph had no human recourse again, but Joseph had Elohim, and Elohim restrained Potiphar. Now by saying to his brothers, I fear God, Joseph is leading his brothers to see that God can restrain him from killing them. So what they needed to do was get right with God, get right with Elohim, who's the only one who could save them. By Joseph, by saying, I fear God, Joseph is saying to them that I'm under the control of God. So what you need to do is to do like I do, get under the control of God. Not bad advice from Joseph, huh? Pretty good for us too, to see that those who would harm us are also under the control of God. And that our best protection from those who would harm us is to go to God, who's our only hope, as it was for them. That's the second point he was saying about, I fear God. Now, but when Joseph said, I fear God, we can see how Joseph is reaching out to them into their darkness. He's reaching out to them with a hand of love and a hand of concern, care for his brothers. And that love and care that Joseph is showing for us is showing us that Joseph has no intention of bringing revenge on his brothers. But he realizes that they've got to come to a full repentance before God, before they can have any future in their lives. And as Joseph realizes that it's up to him to lead his brothers to repentance. Now, There's this third point here to see about when Joseph said, I fear Elohim. With these words, I fear Elohim, Joseph has just slipped up, right? I mean, Joseph has been caught in the emotion of seeing his brothers before him, and he's almost spilled the beans by saying, I fear Elohim. Because when he says, I fear Elohim, he's almost self-betrayed his own identity, by saying that. And we understand why Joseph said, I fear Elohim. It was because there was a great storm going on inside Joseph. And this has been really hard on Joseph here just to hold it all together, to keep it all together and not break down and being consumed with the emotion, which we're going to see a little bit later. He comes, he has to go cry. But he says these words, I fear Elohim. And it shows how close he came to breaking down. But in those words, I fear Elohim. We can see in Joseph's heart this deep longing, this deep yearning to God that they would be reconciled to God and be reconciled to Joseph. And Joseph has this longing. He's got this yearning for his brothers. And it's the same longing and yearning that Paul had for his own Jewish brethren to be reconciled to God when Paul said in Romans 9.1, Romans 9.1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I could wish myself were a curse from Christ uh, for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And then the next chapter, he starts off Romans 10.1. Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. So without thinking, he says, I fear Elohim. 
And really, it's kind of like a, he's almost saying to them when he says, I fear Elohim, I am near you. Joseph is almost saying to them, I am near you. I'm nearer than you think I am to, to you. Now, we're very privileged. We're very privileged here this morning, sitting here, to be able to see Joseph here saying, I fear Elohim, because this allows us to see not just of the surface what was going on there, but to, to probe deep into the heart of Joseph. And what we see as we go deep into the heart of Joseph is this state of extreme agitation when he says, I fear Elohim. So with those words, we see Joseph longing. He really is longing to come out and to say, boys, it's me, it's Joseph, your brother, I love you guys. He really wants to do that, but he can't because God is leading him in a different direction to be rough with them. So he's got this conflict going on. And it's not easy for Joseph because he really does love his brothers. And when we look at this, we can see what the heart of a believer should be when he brings the gospel to a lost person. When a believer brings the gospel to a lost soul, to a lost person, there's got to be what we're seeing here with Joseph. There's got to be a love for that person. You know, John 3.16, when it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it's explaining to us that God so loved the lost world that he gave his son. And Romans 5.8 confirms that when it tells us that God loved us when we were lost. When the Lord Jesus Christ died for us in Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God commended his love for us. So the call to bring the gospel to the lost is a call to love the lost. Now, we don't like to think of it that way. We just like to think of, you know, give me my job, give me the number of doors I gotta go knock on, I'll get the job done, then I go home. But if there's no love for the lost that are being told the gospel, then the gospel presentation becomes what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13.1, 1 Corinthians 13.1, where he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, have not love, I am become as sounding brass and a tinkling silver, tinkling cymbal. Oh, what's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal? Tat may know, <laughs> because that's what he does. But this is more of a description of an irritating sound, like taking your nails and rubbing it on a chalkboard. That's the way it comes across, irritating. What's the take-home message? The take-home message is that the lost should come away after we have presented the gospel and say to themselves, you know what, he really cares about me. He really cares about what's gonna happen to me. You know what, she really cares what's gonna happen to me. There was just some kind of a genuine love and concern. It said something about Jesus dying for my sins, but yeah, what really came across was the caring love for me. And when we bring the gospel to the lost, we're not just the UPS driver, <laughs> the UPS delivery driver, you know, who rings the doorbell, drops off the package, and then goes away, right, leaves, right? We don't just drop off the information of the gospel to the lost and then leave. The gospel is to be delivered with individual care, individual concern, individual love for that lost soul. And the summer blitzers, you know, they spend Monday through Thursday and they're delivering the gospel. I don't want to say they're like the UPS drivers, but they're delivering the gospel to the lost. And then they do on Friday, Fridays are dedicated to circle back. 
and they circle back to those who have showed an interest. That's their time to show that special care, that special concern, that special love for the individual lost souls. As a matter of fact, they have a list on their smartphones of those that they have programmed an app. They made an app. And then they go back and they keep a track who they're going to go back to on Friday. And you know what they call that list on their smartphones? You won't guess. Their sweetheart list. (laughs) And this is the third point about Joseph when he said, I fear Elohim. He almost spills the beans, but it's only because of his heart of care and love and concern for his brothers. Now, verse 19, Joseph has challenged them by saying, if ye be true men. Now, that was their claim. In verse 11, we are all one man's son. We are true men. Servants are no spies. So when Joseph's brothers said that they were true men, they used a word for true. It's very commonly used today in Hebrew. It's the word ken, ken, which means, what does it mean? Yeah, ken. You ask me a question, I say ken. Yes, that's right. It means yes. <laughs> it means yes. But the root meaning of that word means right or upright, standing upright. And so what the brothers were saying is there is that we are right men. We are upright men. We're not deceptive. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, they, now, keep in mind, these are the people, these are the brothers that had deceived their father, Jacob, into making him think that Joseph was killed by a wild animal, and they never told him how they sold Joseph as a slave into Egypt. Yet they claimed to be upright men, true men. <laughs> anyone who says that, anyone today who says he's a good person, He's not a true person. He's not true. Because the reality is, 1 Samuel 2.2, 1 Samuel 2.2 is the reality. There is none holy as the Lord. Isaiah 53.6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The only true person is the person who confesses that he's a dirty, rotten sinner. That's the true person. And here stands Joseph's brothers who sold their brother into slavery, lied to their father about Joseph's death, and when we see them saying, we are true men, that's a picture of man today who says he's a good person. He's deceiving himself, as it says in Jeremiah 17.9, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Man is able to deceive himself into thinking that he's really a good person. Man is not able to assess his own heart. He's not able. He's not qualified to. He can't. Only God could do that. And when God does that, what he finds is Genesis 6-5. Genesis 6-5. God saw the wickedness of man was great, in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously, nonstop. Now we come now in verse 19, and we read this where it says, if you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of your house. Now, when we read that, we read like, oh, wait a minute. Joseph has just changed his mind. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saras. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.